Hey everybody, you're kicking it with the Homeboys on the Homeboys podcast and we are very excited today. We got a very fun show. Today we are talking to Antonio Cuccinello of Invest Starters and his content is blowing up out there. Scotty and I are watching it. We love it. He's big on investment property. He's big on analyzing investment property. He's a really smart guy. We're honored to have him here. I'm your host, Clint Weatherill. As always, I'm here with my man, Scott Adams. Say something, Scotty. What's up? Yeah, this is pretty exciting. I've, I've been a big fan of his for a long time. He gives not only great real estate sound advice, but he also um, seems to be very passionate about financial education as a whole. And, um, and I see him talking to a lot of young people out there, too, which is really neat. Um, he's, he's a powerful speaker. I can see why people are drawn to him and we're just excited to, to be able to sit down with him and, and, uh, soak in some of his knowledge. Amen. So how are you, my friend? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, I thank you for all the kind words too. It means a lot coming from you guys that have a lot more experience than me. That's for sure. Well, we've, uh, we've been in it for a while and you know what? We're all still just fellow real estate investors, and we know that we can learn something from from everybody. So you know, we we really have enjoyed listening to your content, and just you know, uh, we're we're happy that we have fellow people that we could bring on the show and kind of uh, share our experiences. So, um, but anyhow, so why don't you just tell us a little bit uh, about yourself? We know that you're you're a little bit younger than us, twenty nine years old. Uh, but you've got a lot of investing experience. But tell us just about Antonio a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I started making videos online uh, like five and a half years ago. Um, my brother, it was, uh, I had been thinking about doing it for a while. Like I felt like people needed to learn about self help, motivation, business, these things that I was learning, but other people weren't. Um, and, it was a sad day. My brother uh, came home from the doctor's office, was diagnosed with uh, stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. And that, like, it clicked in my head at that moment. I was like, all right, my brother has stage four cancer, can die at any moment. And he wants to uh, still go to school, still continue his internship. He was 20 at the time. And I'm out here complaining about making a video online and thinking that my friends are going to make fun of me. So that day I just kind of picked up a book and I started talking and it has slowly evolved into, uh, what it is today. So, um, I guess what you're seeing is not just, uh, something I was naturally good at something I had to get a lot better at over time. Um, I, I mean, I, I liked investing because the first few days at my, it's actually the first day at my first job as a software engineer, I was just like, uh, I can't do this for forever. There's got to be another way to get this done. I was like finished with all my work by 12 o'clock and I was just sitting there pretending like I was getting work done. Yeah. Um, and so that day I was texting my friend and he was like, you know, there's this thing called entrepreneurship and I didn't know what it was. Um, and so I started reading every book I could get my hands on, came across a few real estate books um, and then was ever fascinated about the idea, uh, but I was always really scared about starting. And, um, that fear that I had held me back for so long. Um, and that fear was kind of what put me out there to start talking about this because 
I felt like there was other people my age who had just enough money to maybe buy something somewhere, were scared to put all that money into one property, not really know how it would turn out. And so, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, I, I like analyzing properties and stuff uh, because that was the thing that made me feel more confident about actually getting my first one. Um, yeah, we actually, we actually, just before we came on the air, we were watching one of your uh, TikTok clips. It was talking about how you were a software engineer, um, and you saw like uh, I guess like I think it was twenty five people got laid off while you were there, and fifty year old men were crying, and you know that uh, kind of helped inspired you. I think the clip really spoke to to Scotty and I. And I know that there's a lot of people that that saw it. It was a viral um, viral clip, but. Um, is it that real world experience that that just kind of catapulted you to to say you know what uh, corporate America or you know a normal nine to five is not for me that this is I you know there's got to be something else out there. Yeah, it was it was that was really what pushed me over the edge um, because like I became a software engineer because it was programmed to me from my parents to just say like, you know, go to school, become engineer, lawyer, doctor. Those are my three options. Mm -hmm. I picked engineer because it best fit my thing, my, my skill sets. And I didn't like going to school. So I picked the one that was the easiest and didn't have to go to school for a hundred years just to, just to start making some money. Um, and I'm sitting there and I'm witnessing these older men who are supposed to be me in 30, 40 years, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't have any money saved. They don't have anything, uh, any sort of income to retire on. Um, and they're getting laid off after they spent the last 20 years of their life working for this company. So in my head, I was like, it just didn't add up. I was like, why would I put effort into a company that might not care about me? you know, um, in five, 10 years, uh, who's not going to pay me until I die basically. And, uh, in the end is never going to really care about my intentions and is going to lock me to a desk for forever. Um, Clinton, I had fairly similar, uh, experiences. Clint worked for Kohl's corporate right out of college. And I, I got a job at a company called Conseco Capital Management. I lasted three days. And I'll never forget the people at the cubicle next to mine. I've told this story a hundred times. Clint's heard it. But talking about how they'd saved up all year to buy a big screen TV. And I thought, and they were like 35, 40 years old. And I, that literally changed my life overhearing that conversation. The fact that they were still there at that age saving for a big screen TV. I walked out and never went back, never even picked up my paycheck. And this was a very prestigious job that it had 500 applicants, and I was able to get it out of out of IU Business School. So uh, I had to stay a little longer because I yeah. had already spent my sign-on bonus. And if I quit, <laughs> then I would have had to have paid it back, and I didn't have it to pay back. But I, yes. was, I was done up here at day yeah. three, too. So it's amazing the <laughs> conquering of fear. You mentioned fear. It's amazing what people can accomplish like you stepping out of and, and 
of their own fear of the unknown and going and doing things. And it's such an inspirational story about your brother and, um, and, and how you took that fear and just started doing social media. We are incredibly late to the social media game. We've been on speaking circuits for decades. We've got a, so many clients that we haven't really needed to and, and tell, and we were, and I was kind of scared of it. And so people like you are yeah, terrified. Mm-hmm. So people like you are such an inspiration for, for folks like us who sure we have experience in the industry um, and, and on the ground, but we see what, what folks like you are doing out there and we're just amazed by it. We think it's the neatest thing because you're inspiring people. And the, the, the way that you started by being inspired yourself through your brother is, is a really neat story. And, and it, I'm not surprised at all that you've caught fire out there. It took a while, but uh, yeah. the that's the thing is like I, I look at content creation as an asset, just like uh, buying properties. Uh, I, I do a lot of upfront work um, to make a video to create content, and then it's out there for forever and it can touch people's lives. It can help someone get started. It can give someone motivation um, for years and years to come. Uh, And so I looked at it as just a different type of asset that is a way of me expressing things that I think people need to hear. And then at the same time, helping other people to me is like a win-win. So, and that's the only reason why I guess I've, I've still been doing it all this time and persisted through the years of no one listening. Well, that, that brings me to a question, which is I'd like for our listeners and our audience to get to know you and understand why it is that Clint and I follow you and are inspired by you and why Clint and I have enjoyed your, your TikToks and everything else for, for a very long time, actually. And so tell everybody, if you could, kind of your main goals with what you're posting out there and what you're trying to help folks with. Yeah, my 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 niche, I call it, is... I help beginner real estate investors who don't know where to start buy their first rental property with confidence in a step-by-step process. So um, I basically took my software engineering mind um, and applied it to real estate. In, in software engineering, when someone tells you to do something, to build an app, right? Uh, they'll tell me, oh, I want the app to have this button or I want the app to do this thing, right? I basically need to take that and then break that down into code. Okay, step one, I need to write this line. Step two, I need to write this line. Step three, I need to write this. Um, So I kind of applied what I was struggling with in real estate, which was there was all these books, all this information out there, but I felt it was very motivational and not very actionable. It wasn't very much go here, do this, do that. And... I felt like in order for someone like me to feel confident about buying a property, to feel confident about getting started, um, a huge problem is that the home prices have gone up a lot higher since a lot of people who have you know hundreds of properties started that a millennial or a uh, Gen Z doesn't have a lot of capital and can't start where they are. And that was the same problem that I had. Um, so putting all your money into something that you thought was going to work without really being sure it's going to work is a huge like blocker for a lot of people. And so 
I'm just trying to simplify the process as much as possible, break down the nitty gritty details that don't really get talked about, the the things that maybe seem natural to a multimillionaire investor who, you know, they've been doing this for years that the beginner doesn't really understand or doesn't really break down. Um, that's really what I, I try to come to every video with in some way, shape or form. 99% um, of our clients are out of area. We, we have a big bulk of clients who, who buy from us that are in California and, and another big pocket for some reason is Utah. Um, do you see that the younger generation is starting to, to understand and be comfortable with the idea of buying out of their area, especially if they're in a priced out area and can't invest there? I think they have no choice really. Um, uh, for me, it was, I was going to keep saving until I can afford something in New York city. But then, uh, once I realized that, you know, I would be saving for years and I looked at, okay, well, if I bought somewhere else, I, by the time I had enough money for my first property, I could already be financially free. That math in my head kind of made it clear. I was like, I'm doing it wrong. I need to be doing it the other way. Um, and I do think that, you know, the younger generation is getting better with the internet and, and doing things remotely, right. Than maybe an older generation was. So I think they have an advantage there where I think they have a disadvantage, uh, is the fact that, um, uh, buying a property is seeming more and more out of reach and, uh, uh, out, it's getting too expensive, um, with the cost of everything going up the last few years. Not if they buy rentals in middle America still, you know, that's, correct. Correct. Right. That, but that was the problem. They're only surrounded by what they see in LA or right. San Francisco or New York or San uh, Austin, right? That's happens to be where they live. So they're more inundated by the news and by all these things about home prices being so high that they're, in, they're stuck inside this bubble. And, and what I'm trying to do is like pierce through this bubble and be like, look, you could buy a house for $50,000. It still exists. It's just not where you are. Right. Um, and yeah. it's, it's continuously beating down that marketing to hopefully get them through. You know, part of our message that we've identified too is we feel like speaking to uh, some generations younger than us is important. We feel like our generation has done a poor job of passing on financial literacy to the millennial generation or Gen Z. Um, you know, I think it's hard to identify that, but I, I we we feel like there was a different. Um, you know, savings techniques that like our parents passed down to us. And like, f for some reason that there was a generation that was kind of lost. So we see that, you know, a lot of, a lot of people don't know how to save. People don't know how, to, how to invest. And that's a big, uh, a big part of our message. The other thing that, that we see a lot of is some of the younger generations are mad at, uh, you know, their current, uh, you know, situation. And sometimes, you know, they look pretty unfavorably upon real estate investing. That's something that we have a hard time trying to understand. Um, you know, even though we're on the same playing field as far as real estate investing, we know you're a little bit younger. Do you, do you kind of get the, the, uh, the same impression or do you, do you feel a different way? <laughs> um, I, because I, I genuinely care myself, what 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 you what what you say about this because it's we it's we're, my, we're, yeah. we're left scratching our heads a lot of times like we don't we don't understand it. No, okay, yeah. So 
I think that I used to not even know that there was hatred um, towards real estate investors up until I was on TikTok. Did I know that there was any hatred whatsoever? Us too. I always looked up to us them. too. <laughs> <laughs> I always like, whoa, you're rich. I want to be you. Can right. I please be you one day? <laughs> right. That's my, that was my mentality. Us too. So, we, we started with nothing just to be clear too. So we looked up to them just like you did. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I'm so I'm glad we started on the same page. Having, I guess, been in the limelight a little bit here, uh, I've gotten a lot of hate. I've gotten, you know, landlords deserve to die. I've gotten, you know, all these things. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, landlords, which is death to landlords. I, I, I literally, it. I literally had a comment on a video. My first viral video ever said landlords deserve death, and I comment replied to it and made a video back. Uh, this is back when I had just moved into this house and I was working out of the garage. I made an office in the garage um, and like my desk was right next to two garbage cans. That's where right. I was recording videos. <laughs> I was taking uh, like sales calls in in the garage while my girlfriend's sister was driving in and out. Like this is what I had to do to save money in order to save enough so I could leave my job and keep doing content creation and real estate investing. Um, and long story short, I think I've come to understand more about where they're coming from. Um, and, but I don't agree with them. Um, and let me try to explain where they're coming from. I guess it's been always pitched to uh, a younger person that the American dream is to be able to go get a job and get married and buy a house and own your house. And that's the easiest way to wealth. Um, but if you grow up in L.A. or New York um, and you are 14 years old, 18 years old, and you're just getting out of high school and you're getting paid $10 an hour, um, but every apartment around you is $1 million, um, and the media will blame real estate investors, they'll just throw the blame on them as these rich people who you know, kind of profit off of the poor people. Um, or you try to buy a house and you get outbid by an investor who paid all cash. The story that emotionally hits you after what you've been brought up around and seen the prices is an easy belief to have. Right. I think you're trying to you're trying to help those people as are we because we understand those dreams are gone in certain markets, right? And so our I, entire message and it appears yours is is actually trying to help the very people that that feel that because way. Because within their within their anger is a cry for help. They're pissed that they can't do what you and I are doing, but they can. And I'm trying to help break that, but it is one of the hardest things to do is to convince someone who doesn't want to be convinced because the anger, the protective shield they put around themselves is more helpful from them preventing them getting hurt because they had the hope and their hope got shut down. Um, you are a very, very wise 29 year old. And, <laughs> and it's admirable the fact that, that you still want to help them and understand the, the psych, the psychology behind it and the reasons for the way they feel they do. And the fact that you still want to help them after doing this for four years is, is incredibly admirable. I can't tell you how hard it is 
if if someone's watching this and doesn't um, understand what we folks like us are up against, the amount of hate that comes at somebody who's literally trying to help the people help people by sharing ways that they can still reach the American dream. It's just a little bit different than the original uh, plan that they had, and they get hated for it. So kudos to you, man, for sticking through this and and keeping on message and caring enough about these folks. I mean, it's that's pretty neat. I, we're gonna. I'm gonna take a serious lesson from that and put on my my big boy pants and just take some of the hate and keep giving back love. I think sometimes we we all get uh, we all get looped in with institutional investors yeah. and, and Wall Street investors too, which I think is not very fair. Well, in our you market, know, we get it time. here, and, and, and in our market. Nobody's being pushed out of affordable housing. Like people say, oh, you you investors have driven us out, so we can't buy a house. I, quit applying your your area's problem to to me. The, anyone who wants to buy a house for one hundred fifty thousand dollars in Indiana can have a beautiful home for their family. So nobody's pushed out. You know. Well, I I agree with that. I, I I don't I don't know what the solution is, other than like. Uh, as someone's got to be blamed for this, I, I like to blame the government because they blindly do things sometimes and they don't know what they're doing. But like we have to have it so home prices are affordable for people. Otherwise, this anger, this resentment is a byproduct of it. And the anger and resentment will cause legislation to make what we do impossible. Like the amount of comments I see on videos that see corporations should not be allowed to buy homes. I'm like, well, I'm a corporation, but I only I only have seven properties. What, what is the line that you draw? Like, what is the line that they're going to draw on capitalism? Is it right. seven? Is it a hundred? Is it a thousand? You're right. I mean, the, and the wealth gap continues to grow too. On top of that, and and again, I feel like we are on message as far as wanting to help solve that by teaching people how to how to be successful through real estate in a different manner. And and if you take away this means of corporations owning houses, we don't work for the ultra wealthy. We have he- we've had hedge funds approach us. We turn them down, not interested. We like helping individuals find a way to, to have homes. A lot of our, our clients live in California and rent there and own rentals here in Indiana, where we have a shortage of rental housing, but a surplus of, of housing available for people to purchase. So everyone wins in us in markets like ours. And there's a lot of others, as you know, like ours where, where mm-hmm. that works. And then the, the idea that everybody wants to own a home is just, it's based on false information. I mean, 23% of the population want to rent for a lot of reasons. They're transitional jobs, college, they go to college. They don't want to own in their college town. A lot of reasons, but um, pretty- I don't think that everyone should uh, want to own a home. I think that it should be an option for people. Um, and like I, to me, it, the only solution seems to be forcing a ton of supply in markets that have where the prices are a million dollars plus. Right. If we if we can uh, incentivize building in those areas and building a lot of units, then the price of things will go down. Um, economics but, 101 to the, to the, to yeah. the rescue. <laughs> but the problem is, is these cities keep making different legislations to make it harder for things to get built. Like even here in Austin, I don't remember the exact law, but they had something up for legislation where every house on, uh, on a corner lot that was within 
certain radius of a train station would now be able to, that was zoned for single family would now be able to go up to six units, right? That would take a single family house and bump it up to five more units, five housing units on every single block on every single, that would help alleviate some of the supply demand issues we're having here. But I don't even know if it passed. Um, and, and these are con- things like this is what actually ends up causing the problem because there's not enough houses to buy then at that point. All right. So what what do you see as the best path forward? I know you talk to a lot of young folks out there who are getting started and a lot of people who are saving. They've figured out the power of saving and compounding interest. Then the next step, what what do you suggest for them? Real estate right after they've got a certain amount of savings or or where do you dive in for the the steps? Um you're saying once you have enough money, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah, at what at how much money do you recommend people have saved up? before they dive into real estate? Or do you recommend people just dive in day one and figure it out? Yeah, I always recommend that you have some money. I I, I say that if you're going to do um, a house hack, you could probably do something having saved less than 20000 depending on what market you're going to do and the purchase price. Um, and if you have more than 20000 then and you want to invest out of state, that's enough to put 20% down on an out-of-state 100k property uh you know give or take a little bit for closing costs so uh that's kind of my barrier depending on where you're trying to go and how much you have well Um, we're big on we're big on keeping some equity you know in your property because we feel like it's kind of a rainy day fund you never know what life situation that could happen could be recessions could be recession could be health (laughs) could be a number of different things so we don't believe in like full leverage you know, to the hilt. So we agree with you. Um, but you said an interesting word there, and I want to go back to it. You said, you know, house hack. And Scotty and I aren't the firm, foremost experts on uh, on house hacking or arbitrage or anything to that. Can you speak a little bit more to what, you're, what you mean by house hack? Yeah. Uh, house hacking is traditionally done as a first property or a second property where you live in the property. You use it buying an FHA loan. Um, with three and a half percent down, so it allows you to get a lower down payment. Um, the requirement is to live in it for a year as your primary residence, um, and you move in. Um, and for a year, you can either rent out the other bedrooms if you buy a single family home, or you could rent out other units up to four units. So you can do a duplex, a triplex, a quadplex. Um, each county around the United States has an FHA loan limit. So depending on how expensive houses are in your area, you'll have a different loan limit um, for that area. But the cool part is it allows you to get in with less money down uh, to a house, start building a little bit of equity, um, and hopefully have a lot of your rent covered because the rent that you'll charge the other units, I'll give a quick example. Let's say you have a house and your mortgage is 1500 per month. Um and you, it's a four-bedroom house, and you rent out each bedroom for five hundred each. The three bedrooms together is fifteen hundred. Your mortgage is fifteen hundred. Now all you got to pay is taxes, insurance, and utilities for the year. And you probably lived for cheaper than you would if you rented. Um, and you have your first property. A year later, you'll move out, and then you can buy another one, not with an FHA loan, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, but something conventional. 
I want to draw a distinction that, that you said that I think uh, is important for the audience to know, which is you said to do this on your first few properties. You said, I think, one to two, but in, generally speaking, on your first few. And then it sounds like you, you think that having a larger down payment for the next ones um, might might be the best path, but I don't want to put words into your mouth. Do you, do you worry about people doing this past the first two, not having enough equity in their house, and then there's a pullback in the market? And, um, or or do, you, do you recommend equ- equity in rental properties? Um, I, think it's, I think it all depends on um, what mode you're in. Um, if you're in offensive mode and you don't have the option to have a lot of equity um, and you have no sense that there'll be a recession anytime soon, or you have no need to sell. Like you have a job, you can cover the mortgage, no problem. Um, Then to me, it doesn't matter as much if you're getting lower down payment options a couple times through. If you are like, if, if we're talking about right now, this second in time where I think property values are dropping a little bit, at least, um, I would be more wary about doing that because you don't, you, you, if you are forced to sell, you would not want to have to sell when your mortgage is higher than your home price. The, the reason we, we talk a lot about this is because Clint and I've been doing this since the nineties. So around a while and you've we, seen things we have, and we survived the 2008, um, recession. Whereas people who were a lot smarter than us, a lot wealthier than us, we watched go bust. Yeah. We saw a lot of people get cleaned out, get cleaned out mm-hmm. who only, who, who leveraged pretty heavily, even though they were wealthy and what happens is it, it became what we watched happen to many, many investors was the cycle would properties were no longer worth what they owed, right? Because they only had, say, 5% equity. They had only put 5% down on each each property. And it, it snowballs because one tenant will move out. It's not a big deal. The person's wealthy. They've got a lot of properties. It doesn't seem like a big deal. But before you know it, during the recession, tenants, there was a pullback in tenants paying rent. So all at once, it was almost a tidal wave effect. And then a tenant moves out. And as you know, you got to do tenant turns, which add up. And before we knew it, people... Periods of vacancy. And then you would have properties that were just kind of dogs and wouldn't perform. But the person couldn't sell it. So they just had to hold a property that was no longer a performer because they owed more than it was worth. And so we just saw it snowball with a lot of folks. So we just preach... Um, a little caution once you start building your portfolio. The house hack as a way to get in is it's brilliant. It's genius. We did it. We used FHA loans to buy our first houses. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's the house hack idea is great. We just really, I just don't want a lot of bunch of other people living with me. That's yeah. Well that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's a way for folks who di- don't have another way in to, to get in. And, um, so it, it is serves a great, its, purpose. it's a great way. It serves its, it's purpose. Um, we just try to caution about once you get too big of a portfolio, leaving equity in your property is what we preach is all. Okay. I actually have a question for you guys. What would be, uh, so I am equally terrified as excited for a recession. Right. Um, good. This would be my first real one. Uh, going through as an investor and making money last one I was in high school. Um, so, I, I want to go through it so I can learn and so I can buy properties at discount, but I also want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to cover myself to make sure that nothing goes wrong. So other than making sure that 
I have enough equity in my properties and having some savings, what do you recommend I do? Line up money. Line up money besides your savings now. Create relationships at your size. Create relationships with a small bank or even private expensive money so that when those deals come along and everyone else is running away from buying, you can run towards it. And keep in mind, mortgages will be... If it's anything like past recessions, mortgages become more difficult to, to, to get, to qualify for. Banks become scared of rental properties, and they do not push them. So line up as much as you can there. Shore up your properties. Get rid of any dogs now. Um, make sure you've got, we say, a minimum of 20% equity across the board in your properties with with the way things have appreciated, most investors have that now, you know, <laughs> yeah. just naturally. Even if they paid, you know, they financed 100%, suddenly they're at 80% LTV. Um, what else? No, I think access to money is, is by far the biggest thing. Like, yeah. I think people that haven't gone through a recession, you know, especially the, the one that we went through, which was massive, um, just don't understand that money dries up fast. Like, we... There's a big regional bank here that we even do all their foreclosure work for them. Um, you know, and we're in with everybody, the board of directors, everyone. Yeah, so know, we have a brokerage, the, sorry, just to clarify. Mm-hmm. We, we, we have a sizable normal real estate brokerage. So we handle all the foreclosure work and listings for, for regional banks too. It's just one of our other businesses. Mm-hmm. But even with our relationship, like they, they're not lending to, they weren't lending to any investors. Um, you know, a lot of the lenders don't want to get into investment property during, you know, uh, recessionary times. So, you know, and, and, the same is true with hard money. You'd be you'd be surprised how how much uh, hard money lenders and private money just want to go to the sidelines because Chicken Little's out and they're scared that the sky is falling. It's it's a it's a wild phenomenon, and we only really experienced that, you know, for four years. So I think that like the biggest thing for me, the my best advice to anybody is be cautious of how, you know, how little money is moving during during recessionary times. So, you know, what the what And the, you cannot exit your portfolio. I I mean it would be terrible to have to do it at that time. But terrible. if you're but if you have at least twenty percent equity, you know, my belief my belief is in even most recessions that provides the safety net that if there's a major life event that you know, you have to get out for a, uh, for a reason that, you know, even a, a fire sale um, you know, could happen. Now the other side of this, I do not believe that we're going into a 2008 recession. I don't. Right. I don't. I don't believe that. You know. I think mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, we didn't even really realize how, <laughs> how unique and you know generational it was till we till we kicked and clawed and scratched our way out of it. And it wasn't that we were just like losing money hand over over fist, um, because I think you know you were positioned in a great spot and I was positioned in a great spot. It was just. You weren't making much, you know. You weren't. You weren't. Uh, the the cash flow, you know, almost went to a stand. Yeah, to line stand line up money. Um, be pre- make sure your portfolio is pretty clean. Meaning, um, you know, life events will happen. You're right. If in a perfect world, as long as no life events happen, you don't have to sell. What? Why would you be in trouble? Well. If if life were that easy, then you know, so be it. <laughs> yeah. But but for the beginner investor, we believe you should be buying heavily right now. Even though we believe there will be a little pullback or even a, a slight recession coming up, we still think they should be buying because they might not be able to 
even though it will be a better time to buy as far as prices, we believe if it's anything like pasture sessions, it'll be difficult for them to acquire the loans in order to do these things and mm-hmm. the capital and their own savings. So yeah. despite the fact that, yeah, you'll probably pay more right now than if you tried to time the market perfectly, it's still a great time to buy, we feel like. We're buying. I mean, we're, we're building 140 townhomes um, right now. We're, we're breaking ground on 25 duplexes, so 50 doors in southern Indiana, uh, 16 doors in, in just north of where we are now, or in Muncie, not, not far off from Muncie, where you bet, you've been. Anderson? And, yeah. So we, we actually have an office in Anderson. Yeah, so we well. bought a warehouse oh, in cool. Anderson right next to the casino and gutted it and uh, you know run our maintenance out of, out of there. But we're heavy buying right now, even though we agree that, that there's probably some bumps ahead in this market, whatever it is. But we know that money dries up. So, uh, you know, on a personal message to you, you've got a large enough portfolio now, I would suggest you try to start building some banking relationships where you can get some lines of credit that are direct, not real estate related. Um, And for folks who are just starting out, we really suggest buying now um, so that they can have a portfolio that will help see them through the pullback. You mean uncollateralized uh, business lines of credit, something like that? Or collateralized, but still a business line of credit. Mm-hmm. You know, collateralized okay. with the properties or uncollateralized. You, I'll tell you what, there will be no uncollateralized loans if there's a recession, Correct. you know, available. So, um, okay. Yeah. All right. You're <laughs> so not you, the first people to give me that advice. So, yeah. uh, so, you know, Muncie, you know, Anderson, you know, our area a little bit. You, you know, whenever you come back, you know, to town, we're, we're going to have to get together and break some bread and hang out. You know, maybe we could uh, show you around some. Yeah, uh, I love that. I mean, I, I last time I was there was well, I'd only been there one time, but I came April last year when I when I was telling you about the our awesome weather, weather here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. sucks. <laughs> it sure does. Well, we wanna we wanna finish our podcast, um, you know, and really kind of make this um, about you. So we have we have a few with closing, three closing, closing questions. questions but first of all we yeah. love we've loved having you on and we really respect you and um, what you're doing and the message that you're sending out there to people and there's a lot that Scotty and I you know have learned by watching your content and by having you on so we, we appreciate that but uh, do you want to sure you so get into first the question closing? what is the best real estate decision you ever made um getting started there you uh, go. <laughs> that's a great one the great. amount of like it, it wasn't my first property wasn't the best deal i've done um but it by far lit a fire under me and like made the connection in my head is like holy crap i can actually do this and it like panned out from what i thought it was going to be and if i keep doing this i can actually reach that goal that i had in my head of becoming financially free it's possible um and so, yeah, that that has to be the best one by far, even That's though... It. Just like do I it, said, man. We say it all the we, time. Yeah, we love it. So next question is, what real estate decision or decisions do you regret? Uh, <laughs> I, got so about, I, this... I got about 300 of them. If you want me to take <laughs> over this, I got a lot of regrets. Well, I'm not you guys have a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I had this deal under contract um, in March, it was a single family home um, off market deal that I got that is built like a five unit. And it was my first short term rental because I don't have any short term rentals. 
And my goal this year was to retire my dad with the income that I'm making from the properties. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And I needed about I need about six thousand more in in passive income in order to reach that. So this pro sorry, four thousand more. This property uh had about seven thousand, seven thousand five hundred was a conservative estimate from what um Airbnb uh rentals look like in the area. And I want to, I'm the type of person that wants to make sure I do everything by the book and I tried to do everything by the book. So it was my understanding that I needed to get approval because this wasn't a, a government district. I need to get approval from two committees, uh, mansion area district committee and the capital zoning district committee. Uh, we call the town there. Some, we speak to someone on the phone. They're like, yeah, I've never seen anyone not get denied having the setup that you have plus parking spaces, which we had. Um, so I show up to the first meeting. Um, and like, as the meeting is starting, I go and look down at the report that they wrote for my property. And basically, uh, there was an objection to my request. And the lady said, I live next door and I've seen the neighborhood decline. Um, there's no way I can accept the short-term rental at this property. I end up looking up the property records. The property next door is a bed and breakfast. <laughs> and the same lady owns the bed and breakfast on the block perpendicular to it. Um, and she sits on the committee. And oh, so gosh. all of her friends were there. Um, basically, yeah. I go through the process. They shut me down. They don't allow me to do it. And I speak to a bunch of lawyers afterwards. And they were like, you didn't legally have to go through the actual committee you could have just uh gone around it set it up and then face the consequences later um which they couldn't really stop you unless if they passed the law but me being the trying to be the nice person that i am uh lost out on this deal because the only way for me to fight it at that point once they had denied me was to appeal it in court and that would have costed me a lot of money uh in court and a lot of money and hard money fees uh, that would have just been interest only payments. So my biggest regret was not doing that without letting the town know. So Except asking for uh, forgiveness instead of permission. Yep. <laughs> I Don't, learned it the hard yeah, way. That's smart. Don't okay. beat yourself up. I had a similar situation yeah. with the historic commission. It was almost exactly like that. Yeah. It was and a nightmare. I, I lost. Um, but they're just, yeah. they're just the worst. Yeah, they're the worst. Awful. Before I went up, there was someone talking for an hour about what kind of paint they used on the windows. I was like, yeah. Oh my God. We, Sounds very familiar. <laughs> we've been there yeah. specifically him on a, a bachelor home he bought many years ago when yeah. he was still single, a big old, how many square feet was that thing? It was like six, 6,500. Yeah. In a downtown historic district, cool mansion. And they didn't like the windows. Oh, they so. tore me apart. Yeah. They tore <laughs> so. me apart. I'm still walking funny from it. Yeah. <laughs> so last question, what real estate advice do you have for the next generation? Which you talk a lot about this on your, I, I'm going to let you answer, but just for anyone watching, follow his TikToks, follow his social media. He speaks on this answer heavily throughout and I, everything I've seen him say so far, I agree with. So he's a great person to follow for this answer besides his short answer here. Um, it's hard to answer in a short answer, but my answer would be keep believing that it's possible and you may have to sacrifice a thing or two to get started that maybe didn't need to be done 20, 30 years ago, but 
if you do it, it'll get you on the right path to getting started. Um, that's probably as short as succinct as, as I could possibly Love make it. it. So true. So true. So true. Well, we thank you very much, Antonio, for, uh, for coming on and hanging out with us. We think a lot of what you're doing out there and we really appreciate, uh, your time. So any last uh, words, Mr. No, Adams? Just thanks so much. Enjoyed it just as much as I thought I would. So we appreciate you. Well, thanks guys. It means a lot to have guys like you uh, compliment me. And well, we're, we're cheering uh, you on. Future. We're cheering you on out here. You're going places. So keep going strong on your own portfolio. Don't forget about yourself along this ride. You know, you gotta, you gotta build <laughs> your portfolio up. Yeah. It's uh uh, I've been trying to uh, find ways to use my audience to help me build the portfolio even more. Smart. Um, and that's uh, kind of where I'm stuck at right now is what what is the right way for me to do it? And I uh, haven't had the answer yet, but working on it. Well, when you f- when you find the answer, I know what you're going to do, which is you're going to share that answer with everybody like you do everything. And you're going to make a lot of other people, uh, you know, you're going to help a lot of other people figure that out the same time you figure it out. So yep. best of luck out there. Thank well, we, you, guys. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us uh, on the Homeboys podcast. Anthony Cuccinello of Invest Starters. Check out his contact content. This guy's awesome. He's really spreading a good message out there to all investors, but particularly reaching the younger audience. We appreciate you joining us. Till next time, happy investing. <laughs>